0: I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This weekend, we are talking about E3 2016 because we're right in the middle of E3 2016. And as you're listening to this, we will be just barely wrapping up with E3 2016. So this show is going to be all about sort of the things we thought were interesting, we're talking about, and potentially even cool and exciting at E3 2016. So Rob, I know you haven't been following anything too closely because you have a lot of other stuff going on, but uh, what news has sort of sparked your attention thus far about E3?
1: Well, I think uh, sort of to pick up the thread we left dangling uh, yeah. last week or the week before, um, we were sort of confident that there was going to be a ton of news coming out of E3 about the future of both uh, PlayStation and Xbox, right? That yeah. it was pretty much a lock. We were going to find out that uh, the console is being reinvented, and we were going to figure out like what PlayStation and Xbox were both going to do. Uh, and that appears not to be the case anymore, yeah. right? Cause, because the last I heard now... Uh, like Sony's still keeping its future plans for the PlayStation kind of under wraps. Uh, like we know that the the PlayStation Neo, uh, the the sort of hard the, the sort of mid mid cycle hardware upgrade uh, for the PlayStation is happening. It's a real thing, uh, but we don't have details on it. Uh, whereas it seems like Xbox did sort of start tipping their hand a little bit, um, but also started hinting that. Maybe the future is a little bit more in like the future for Microsoft is a little bit more about trying to get people to live uh, happily within a joint Xbox Windows ecosystem, oh, yeah. uh, which yeah. makes my skin crawl a little <laughs> bit. But but maybe, but I mean, that's a little bit knee jerk and we should talk about that, but um so I guess like my, I guess my question for you cuz you were following this a little more closely is uh, so what the hell happened with with, with Sony? <laughs> uh, what, like so where where's the neo uh, in, so they, in all this?
0: You know, they mentioned a little bit about stuff. And the main thing that Sony really talked about in terms of hardware was their VR stuff, which you know, $400 they uh, announced the release date which is going to be this fall. Uh, you know, the the PlayStation VR, it is called PlayStation VR, I believe. Um, so they talked about that a little bit. But, you know, interestingly, um, you know, we were expecting a big hardware E3. Yeah. And all the major publishers kind of made it about the games, which is cool and awesome. And I always like that because I don't, I have to give a shit about hardware, certainly, because it's my job to know kind of what's yeah. going on. But I don't actually, in my heart of hearts, give the first shit about hardware. Like, I just don't, I, you know, whatever device, oh, whatever, we've already talked about this. Um, but yeah, every everybody kind of came out the gate running with their, you know, with their software stuff. Now, Microsoft did announce the Xbox s the sort of slim xbox it's you know, xbox one s whatever uh and they did talk a little tiny bit about scorpion but they didn't go into like great detail or anything it was very much sort of you know an announcement that they made they talked about it a little tiny bit but it wasn't like here's what you can expect here's really what's going to happen it was just kind of a bunch of de- it was like a sizzle reel of a bunch of devs talking about how great their pixels will be it was really mm. it was very like vague and very like Okay, but what does that mean, really? And, you know, they're making the promises of, like, don't worry, all the games will all, you know, be playable on all the Xbox One ecosystem, like, including the S, including the Scorpion, including the sort of current right. Xbox One that so many people, you know, well, not that many people, but plenty of people have, you know, in their living rooms <laughs> right now.
1: Yeah, right? not that many people have it, and that's that's kind of the, <laughs> yeah, the kind crux of the, of the matter for, for Microsoft. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's kind of their issue. So, yeah, it was just kind of one of those really non-specific, like, okay, I'm, I'm glad... Uh, You know, they said, you know, 2017, next year, uh, that kind of thing. So it was like, okay, well, I guess we're waving our hands. We know it's going to happen, but you're not really talking about it that much. And they'd rather you get really excited about Gears 4, basically.
1: That's, okay.
0: (laughs) And Forza Horizon, which actually looks amazing. Forza Horizon 3, which looks
1: But that's coming out on PC.
0: Yeah. And this is where
1: I start to get a little bit, like, curious about what Microsoft are really up to. Uh, both as just someone who sort of uh, has a casual interest in the future of the console race, but has a more than casual interest in what happens to PC. Sure. And I am increasingly getting the sense that Microsoft badly, badly uh, (laughs) want to not necessarily build not necessarily like build real walls around Windows, but maybe Potemkin walls, right? Sure, Where like sure. they want like typical users, people who just want to like turn the machine on and have it go. They don't necessarily want those people to encounter the wide open world of PC the way we always traditionally have, right? It seems like yeah. Microsoft kind of want people to enjoy their pc the way they enjoy their xbox right sort of this curated um experience where all everything sort of points you to other parts of microsoft's online stores
0: yeah i remember seeing very very briefly you know i so my coverage of all of this stuff has been you know sort of the press events and then of course you know i'm covering it from new york so I am editing sort of the things that my my coworkers are you know going and experiencing and so on and so forth. But I did take a peek at, uh, at some of Giant Bomb's coverage, and they they actually had Phil Spencer on the show talking a little bit about sort of the uh, the play between wanting to kind of have their own platform on PC and and sort of working with Steam on some capacity with some of it, and wanting to kind of do cross-platformy stuff that seems like. A little bit of what you're talking about here, and a little bit of like, hmm, what what are you guys up to? What are you actually doing here? And and kind of, I don't know. It it kind of feels to me as if it's tying into a lot of our concerns that we had, uh, you know, last week about, well, you know, playing something on PC is one thing, playing something on console. You know, the benefit of the console is supposed to be that you don't have to have all these upgrades and all this bullshit and all this other stuff. But clearly, we're (laughs) we're ending that era right now. So. Man, I don't know. Uh, it's it is a little weird. Microsoft's presser uh, seemed to be out of the sort of you know the platform holders or, or the really big publishers. It seemed to be kind of the least coherent, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. They had some really cool things there. There was you know Gwent <laughs> was announced there. Actually, oh man, which I have such
1: is, weird feelings about Gwent. We'll have to talk about yeah, that. Yeah.
0: Oh my God. Yes, we're gonna have to, uh, for sure. And they actually showed We Happy Few, which I'm really excited about. Okay, the sort of yeah. dystopian alt 60s london time travel that is a really that is a very game? cool
1: idea for a game the last i played it it was like oh fuck that was another survival game it was really, like the yeah, early and yeah. it was an alpha, alpha alpha build like it was super sure, like sure. like can't judge too much from it but mm-hmm. like what i was seeing is like there's an amazing aesthetic here um you know a cool it's like it's stylish as hell uh a, a cool setup and then within five minutes, it's like collect five fragments oh, of no. crap and make this thing, and then return to your layer and build up. Oh, God, uh, and I when you get killed, not, yeah. you'll lose a bunch of it. So, like that concerns me a little bit, and I'm hoping that um, I'm I'm hoping that the the narrative is built out a little bit more rather than necessarily survival systems, uh, right? Yeah. Because uh, to, to our topic, uh, like a couple weeks ago. Um, there's a lot to be said for like authored moments, authored things, yes. uh, to do and, and interact with in a world. Uh, and I hope that we Happy few gives us a few more of those than, than it was first sort of indicating. Uh, but, but yes, yeah, so that's shaping up well, huh?
0: I mean, it looks really interesting and weird and you know, it, when we go to these press events, like. There's a lot of things that look bombastic and really pretty and really cool, but they kind of, you know, you kind of know maybe what you're getting into with a lot of them. You know, if, if there's a racing game, if there's a shooter, you kind of know what's what's going to happen. So every time something completely out of left field sort of shows up, I get very excited. Even, even if I don't, you know, necessarily like, hey, maybe it just looks cool in this you sort of uh, in this little menagerie of stuff, but I think it looks cool. I don't know. I've also yeah. been kind of talking a lot, you know, I think we've both done a lot of E3 coverage in our lives, and you go to E3, and especially if you've, if you've done a few of these, and you kind of know that maybe about half of the things that you see are going to end up actually being really cool. And the other half, even if they look pretty cool at E3, they might, they might just be kind of shitty. And you know you know that's okay we you know, I feel like we understand these things at this point. uh so every time we talk about like an e three game, it's always sort of like with a giant grain of salt that like this is this game looking its best <laughs> like uh so yeah, that you know that's certainly a thing I, I I don't know, I feel like Microsoft really had some interesting moments and then just as many uh. Eh kind of moments um i was also excited about sea of thieves rare's new giant sort of open world pirate game Mm -hmm. that you know i don't really know what it's going to be all about but it seems pretty rad Uh, it seems like a giant sort of multiplayer world that you kind of have to have a crew and you you know you bring your ship around they unfortunately did the the sort of um the sort of thing where it was like when they were showing gameplay of that it was also sort of with other people with people's faces they, they were doing the like reaction cam thing that oh gets god. old after I, oh like my god. a I second hate that so
1: much oh my I god know. it's this yeah. whole this this awful like marketers have discovered that people like twitch streamers and youtubers yeah. and yeah. So they try and recreate that within the context oh. of their marketing materials but it's like the most like corporatized bs yes. version of it which it, and already like There's a lot of affect that can be built into a lot of, like, YouTuber persona. Uh, And then when you add to that a hefty dose of, like, market-driven... You know, marketing-driven moments. um, Oh, God. I I just hate that stuff so unbelievably much.
0: I do, too. Like, it just because what sucks is that the game looks really cool and really interesting and it's like yeah super multiplayer like a large multiplayer pirate game looks like fun like i would totally be down to try that you know rare might be getting their shit together after a few bad connect games like (laughs) that'd be awesome um but yeah the kind of face cam shit sort of ruined it a little bit um but you know I, i won't i won't take a poop on it unless i i actually play it uh so yeah so yeah xbox was kind of hit or miss for me recore also looked interesting it's like an action game with um you're kind of killing a bunch of robots and stealing their power cores and then sort of doing things with the power cores that i i don't know anything about it other than you know trailer but it could be could be cool um i feel like nothing really super struck me much at the ea uh conference but the mm-hmm. Sony conference, holy shit. A lot. There was a lot of stuff at Sony. Actually, there's a lot of stuff at Ubisoft. Why don't I talk about Ubisoft uh, before that? So, Ubisoft, I was very, very interested uh in this because they sort of um they always bring out Aisha Tyler, who hosts this yes. the Ubisoft she the presser. Best. She is the actual best. She is the only thing keeping those fucking press events from being a goddamn disaster because otherwise they just bring out people who either don't know anything about games or clearly hate video games like they brought out the south park guys this year who made a bunch of like weirdly uncomfortable jokes and like they they brought out some movie producer who was doing the assassin's creed movie who clearly didn't want to be there like they just all this shit is always happening they always show games that are like oh maybe this is fun but you know i don't know um but aisha tyler God bless her heart. She holds it together. She's funny. She's personable. And, uh, you know, in light of sort of the the really fucking awful tragedy that happened, you know, the day before yeah. this aired, um, you know, when a gunman obviously went to a gay club in Florida and Orlando and killed a whole, whole bunch of people, she was kind of the only one in all of E3 who was able to, you know, say a few words about that and just sort of like honor that without it being like feeling really fucking awkward and weird yeah uh like she was able to do it gracefully even though the fucking tom clancy's whatever right wing bullshit was like the next trailer up like she was she was somehow able to make it work and that was that was cool i mean she was literally standing next to people dressed like clowns and like a sad giraffe and and stuff like that and she was still able to make that work so props to her because Man,
1: she's, she's got that. She's got that thing, like that, like some of the really good late night hosts have as well, right? Yeah, I think it's really yeah. good hosting, like because E three Press. They're kind of variety shows, right? They're weird, <laughs> totally. niche variety shows, but they absolutely <laughs> are variety shows, and it takes a special kind of person. To sell that right because on the one hand you kind of have to be in on it with the audience like you know we're all doing yeah. here right like yeah. you know you know the score but at the same time you can't be kind of an asshole about it and like act like you're above or better than the people you're, you're hosting and you got to like let them put their best foot forward. So it's 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 not a skill a lot of people have which is why there's always super cuts of like e3 flameouts right oh, but Aisha Tyler is like eminently watchable uh, during these like they're uh, always a highlight of, of yeah. the uh, of, of the of the presser uh, series was there much going on at uh, Ubisoft that, that caught your eye
0: for me there actually was so there was some stuff that looked pretty kind of bland and not very interesting to me. Um, They kind of started out with their crappiest thing. So at at first I was kind of like, oh, God, Ubisoft has nothing, you know, because it was Ghost Recon Wildlands, which, again, I don't want to like crap on somebody's hard work, but like it just kind of looks like another, you know, Tom Clancy's right wing conspiracy theory kind of shit. So whatever. And then the South Park game, which is called the Fractured Butthole, which is supposed to be Fractured Butthole. Yes, I know. Um which I have very, very, very mixed feelings about the South Park games because yeah. uh, apparently, and I didn't really play much of the the previous game, but it, apparently, like, it's actually a really fun RPG. It's really colorful. I remember Sean Vanneman actually said something like, oh, it feels a lot like Costume Quest with a budget, which really appeals to me. Like, that sounds like fun. Um, and I am certainly not above fart jokes and really stupid humor. Like, I'm not at all, but... God, South Park, I just wish it would grow up a little bit, you know? Like, just a little, just a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think also the whole South Park stance toward the world has not aged well. It Um, really hasn't. Like, that sort of cool, ironic detachment from everything, and both sides do it, so why care about anything and just be ironic? Really, like like, it never actually sat that well with me. Uh, because yeah. like, huh, we're, you know, we're, we we, we, offend, uh, equally, right? We don't care who we, Eagle who we offend. time,
0: man. Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: but it's. But, but not
0: really. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: But, but, but also after, after a point, it's like, uh, yeah, but you, 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 essentially have no worldview, right? Like yeah. you, at that point, your, your art is in the, it is absolutely committed, uh, to defending the status quo. Uh, even as you sort of send it up, predominantly your mission is to protect it. Um, which is cool if you're a Gen X slacker who's got it made in the shade, right? Uh, but probably not as useful to anyone who doesn't fit that type.
0: Yeah, and they and they brought um, Matt Parker and Trey Stone, yeah. right? I always get them wrong. Like <laughs> I always get, I always say like Matt Stone and Trey, Parker, whichever way it is, the South Park creators, Matt and Trey. They brought them out and like, this was pretty early on in the show and they were kind of trying to make a joke about a gay fish or something. And it was just kind of like, maybe not today guys. Like, like I know it's not really, you're not like being like a complete piece of shit or anything, you're not saying like kill the gays, obviously, but like it was like, it was like a little like, guys, guys, not that one today. You know, maybe, maybe one of your other terrible, stupid jokes, but yeah. not that one today. <laughs> And then they did like a division thing and I was just like, oh God, this is horseshit. And then Rob, and then they brought out the only thing I ever want to use VR for, which was Star Trek Bridge Crew. And they had LeVar Burton come out and they had a trailer that was LeVar Burton and Carl Urban and Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine in Voyager. Secret, I'm a, not a secret. I am a huge fan of Star Trek Voyager. I will defend it even though I don't think it's the best. Yeah, <laughs> shocking, right? It had so many great women characters. Anyway, and it's them playing the game in VR, which of course I had a giant Star Trek nerdgasm mm-hmm. over watching, you know, Star Trek actors, you know, kind of doing their thing actually playing this little VR game where it's ba- it's yeah. basically just pressing buttons pretending you're on a It's like Enterprise Space Team bridge. but VR. Exactly, yeah. exactly, which you know, if I ever get VR if if I ever get one of these VR things, it's going to be on Oculus and Vive and whatever, I'm sure. Um, it, I know it's confirmed for Oculus and Vive, and I think they're kind of looking into what else, basically. Um, I will totally get that. There's just no question. I will get that. I will play it. That is what I would ever want VR for. Uh, and then there were a couple of other kind of little highlights uh, for Honor was it it looks interesting it's it's sort of like a a sword combat game that's supposed to be pretty hardcore honestly more than anything it's the it's the creative director who who sells it so hard he came out there his name is jason vandenberg and he's got the like Really enthusiastic sword dad thing going on. Yeah. So he was just like so wait, into it.
1: He, wait, the, Danielle, you can't just say he's got that. Oh, he's got that whole enthusiastic sword dad thing going on. Just, that's not a thing. That's I, not a thing, Daniel. Oh, he's one of those sword dads. He's okay a sword well, that's, dad. the new, that's the new voting bloc, by the way. Like the twenty sixteen election, it's like oh, forget forget the NASCAR moms or whatever. It's gonna be it's gonna be about like twenty sixteen is gonna hinge on the sword dad sword dad, uh, okay, and, and increasingly the sword daddy. But. Yeah,
0: let me let me try a little harder. Then he's got kind of like a a long beard, but it's it's pretty well put <laughs> together. He's got like a kind of man bun kind of thing going on. But he's clearly you know, and he's he's in his his forties, maybe his late forties. So he's kind of got the dad thing going on. But you can tell that this guy has like a wall of swords at home. Like he collects But swords. not in a creepy way. Not in a creepy way. Like he's really, really into it. He's really into yeah. old weaponry. He probably does classes. He probably has whatever the equivalent of a black belt is in mm-hmm. several styles of sword fighting. And he is just so enthusiastic about it. He's just like, for honor. And it, it, <laughs> so it just works. So is this game works. going for
1: kind of a Bushido Blade thing or a Die kind by the Sword? Did you ever play Die by the Sword?
0: I did not play Die weird, by the
1: Sword. Weird cult. I'm not even yeah. sure I call it cult classic because it was really like there was a there was good concept there. It was this really, uh, really fine 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 finely controlled uh, sword fighting game on the PC uh, like 15 years ago.
0: Okay, uh, okay. where
1: <clears throat> it had all these different like expressions of sword moves. Right, so like it wasn't just high block, mid block, and low block. It was like. Uh, you know, uh, Perry High right, Perry High left, Perry nice. High yeah. uh, so it was very, like there were, there was a lot going on there uh, yeah. And if you were good enough, nobody ever was because you were trying to control it with like mouse and keyboard, and actually <laughs> sure. predominantly number pad. That's how they were recommend oh, you play God. it. Uh, yeah. So the, the thing was just like this really like incomprehensible fighting game. But if you like at the at, at the times where you sort of got into a flow within it sort of feel, it felt like it was working, it was this crazy whole, like holy crap! I'm in the middle of like a real sword fight, and that's really cool. There was no game really built around that was the issue. Uh, sure, it was basically sure. just like yep we've got a sword fighting model and enjoy it's a game sure yeah yeah so is is it going for that is it going for more of a fighting game thing what's going on
0: so it looks like a brawler with uh in a really really in-depth actual system of brawling like it, it you know, showing the gameplay, and they showed like a six minute demo, so I'm kind of trying to go from there. Um, but, y- you know, it was showing the sort of Viking gameplay. There's like three, you can be a knight, a samurai, or a Viking, and like, you know, different campaigns in the story. And you're kind of going through these massive battles, and you're the biggest Viking out there. You look like the mountain from Game of Thrones or something. You're kind of the biggest Viking on the battlefield, and you've got your axe, and it looks like you can swing the axe from any of eight directions, and you could kind of do parries, you can kind of, you know, so not like, God, it it just kind of looks like a brawler structure, but with that kind of way, way more in depth, you know, actual fighting model. Um, So it seems like they're going for something fairly in depth, but not, you know, probably not to the degree of uh, for the uh, for the sword. Sorry, die by the sword that you just mentioned. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm interested in it. It might be total shit, but I'm I'm interested in it basically because of Sword Daddy. So
1: yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah. and then of course all i saw from that really was the um kind of silly watchdogs trailer
0: yeah um, was a which silly. was
1: more like uh and and i saw that trailer once and then i saw like a bunch of different super cuts of all the different times that like someone says hack uh <laughs> in that in yeah. in that in that trailer and in the development interviews, and it was kind of embarrassing looking and uh yeah i i don't know it looks it 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 looks like that series is continuing to engage with technology and society in ways i don't find particularly exciting exciting or thought-provoking
0: yeah i have a lot of mixed feelings about uh sort of the so they showed a trailer and then they showed like a gameplay demo like a, a 15 minute i think actually gameplay demo of it oh god i have so many like okay it seems like they fixed the biggest issue, well, one of the biggest issues from that first game, which was the protagonist was a piece of shit. Like nobody liked him. He was he was a jerk. He, he never did anything good for anyone. He was just an unlikable dickhead. Um, and this protagonist, Marcus, actually looks like a you know a younger guy. He he's an African American guy. He's from Oakland, like. I care so much more already about his story than I ever did about Aiden Pierce and his stupid hat. Like, yeah. you know, so that I'm I'm a little bit intrigued. Uh the fact that it takes place in San Francisco is incredibly complicated. Um the, Ubisoft has such an opportunity here to actually really do some commentary on like what the fuck has happened to the bay area like it seems like they're they're on one level kind of trying with you know like all the sort of silicon valley shit that they they kind of threw into the trailer there but my instinct is that they're not going to really make good on that like there is so much you can say about san francisco you can use san francisco very very obviously as as like a symbol for what the fuck is happening with tech and with you know yeah. tech what is the term bureaucracy, or really, you yeah. know, the way people kind of talk about what tech is actually doing to culture. And I, I mean, tech in terms of like, t- you know, startup culture, Silicon Valley culture, yeah. not actually just technology, but yeah, I really hope that they do something with that. I don't think that they really will uh, because Ubisoft does not have the best track record with this, right? Like the division was supposed to be some kind of commentary about like, the surve- not to the surveillance state but about you know sort of the way we deal with power the way we mm-hmm. give police power in our culture and that took a giant shit all over itself Well, right, right?
1: it, <laughs> it, it ultimately didn't ha- like again yeah. like to the point of not having perspective right yeah and that it, yeah. and all all ubisoft games predominantly feel like they're designed to avoid having a perspective um, I and yeah. I, and i think that actually yeah. goes back to the original assassins creed right where sure. um the conspiracy you stop in the original assassins creed is um the the templars in that game at least are up to their are they're sort of uh, like radical militant atheists uh basically yeah. and the old like the 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 end of the game they're they're like they spent the entire game basically trying to provoke a massive war between the crusaders and uh saladin um you know, basically to the end of sort of destroying both like militant Catholicism and, and, and militant uh, Islam. Um, but, the, but, the, but the issue, but, but the way that game ended, like the way that game ended, and I, I feel like every game has sort of tried to walk this line, is like, okay, no side is bad. Somehow this is all a horrible misunderstanding that this could just be fixed. Uh, if only someone just came along and discovered the conspiracy behind it all, um, and then <laughs> kind of you know, like the South out. Park
0: mentality on its head a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, <a laughs> all little- sides are shitty, or all sides are not shitty. You know, the kind of like eh, middle of the road non-position. Um, and,
1: well, and also like people just like don't have the facts, yeah, right? And and true. like you as the player, like are the only person who actually. Understands the you know how the strings are being pulled behind the scenes, all that all that BS, uh, which you know is fine for one story, but I again I kind of feel like all Ubisoft open world games are kind of on a mission to avoid having a stance. Um, yeah, you know, like but, uh, like man, like maybe police power is you know maybe police power uh, can be a bad thing. But it is pretty fun to be a powerful police person with the with with a monopoly on violence. Right.
0: Yeah. It, uh, it sure so, is fun to kill looters. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's God. I had this this hilarious thought during the press conference. It, it the sort of lower moments of the press conference when I was just like, Ubisoft being a French company, do they just think Americans are really dumb? Like, is that what they're trying to say? Like, you dumb assholes like this shit, and we're just gonna keep putting it out. Like, there is no, some kind the, of hilarious, like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that's completely right yeah i don't think that's legitimately was happening at ubisoft i just had that like moment of like hmm. um and then and then they did impress me with a couple of small things like grow up because i loved grow home there's trials of the blood dragon and then the big reveal at the end actually got me very very excited uh so ubisoft has a brand new property they're going to make this open world mountain alpine snowboarding skiing paragliding game based on uh the alps actually and holy shit the fr- i i actually so i'm teaching a game design class right now and i have a student who literally has been prototyping this not this exactly his is based in uh, the colorado right. mountains but he's been sort of like really excitedly putting together an open world snowboarding game and i kind of the first thing i thought when i saw this was like oh shit i guess this is a really good idea that more than you know clearly more than one person would have um but god this looks gorgeous and really really fun and it struck me as kind of this is the one time that sort of boring open world design that sort of checklist design actually really makes sense because you're just kind of doing one thing you're racing or you're you know doing stunts or whatever it makes perfect sense to kind of have, oh, here are these 10 drop points on this mountain, go race over here, that kind of thing. I don't know. I'm really excited for it. I, I think it will be really, really fun to kind of go on a fake mountain and, and race with people. Like, yeah. I, I actually am, like, really pumped for that. I'm not really a mountain sport person. I've skied a couple of times. It was really fun. Um, But, yeah, I just... I don't know, maybe because it was just completely out of nowhere and it was just kind of like, there's a really gorgeous game that's not saying a bunch of horse shit politically. <laughs> yeah, That looks really, just really just yeah. fun and gorgeous and it's a very pure expression of, like, enjoying yourself outdoors. And that that just did it for me. I was pretty souped on that one. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so, I mean, overall, though, it was, it was weird. Uh, there was a lot of talk this week, it seemed, like, that this... E three seemed understandably smaller, or like that sure. there's just less going on, and I definitely felt that a little bit as well, right? Because I remember last year, like it was the E three of Fallout Four, um, sure. Like, yeah. but but usually there's there's a few things that like that everyone sort of can get behind and and rally around and and hear that just. That thing didn't seem to exist. Maybe the closest thing I saw to that was everyone kind of uh, going, everyone sort of being taken aback by Call of Duty, uh, mm, yeah. which looked way more eye-catching than I was expecting. Yeah, it uh, looked like
0: Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, like, that's it, exactly it, it. was awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, the the like I watched the gameplay trailer and that boy that that didn't look like an on rails dogfighting sequence to me. Uh, that yeah, looked no. like you'll be able to actually pilot a fighter around a space battle, uh, and then get out of your fighter and go like do boarding missions, which is a really cool and exciting idea. Uh, and I hope it is exciting as it looks yeah uh because i like i I would really be crushed if you know that's just a that's just a few minutes out of the game and the rest of it's a pretty bog standard like well, it's call of duty like here we've put down on this alien desert city <laughs> and you know it's gonna be uh that kind of game again, but I'm really hoping that it the the fact that it kind of looks like it's really taking that series in a different direction uh i hope it i hope it actually delivers on that because they could sure use that. That series could certainly use <laughs> yeah. some so, some new ideas.
0: Some reinventing, reinventing yeah. rather. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Hard, the
1: military, the military shooter genre uh, kind of needs some some reinventing. Uh, yeah. So I I was really excited to 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 see that, and I saw a lot of people who've sort of been checked out of Call of Duty for years uh, getting getting interested in in that. Um, yeah. and so, I, I think it kind of highlighted how conservative battlefield one kind of seems
0: sure despite
1: the fact that they were like i don't know i I think part of it is just battlefield like i kind of feel like there's a this sort of a copy paste approach to marketing battlefield games at this point uh and even if you like even when they've changed the setting up quite a bit um and now it's a world war one game they're still trying to market it as if it's a yeah, modern which, warfare clone which makes
0: no sense because the World War 1 setting is fucking cool like yeah. everybody i know who's actually gotten their hands on the game like my my editor in chief said it's really really oh, intense that's so and like and and the sound design is incredible and truly terrifying like the, the sound of these kind of old hulking war machines that barely worked is like truly terrifying like i'm I've never cared at all about a Battlefield game. And that's not a knock on the series. It's just not my thing. But I am interested in this game because of that new setting. Like entirely because of that new setting. And because it sounds like they're actually kind of doing justice to that setting. So yeah, it's kind of bullshit that they're marketing it like, war! When it's like, actually this game is going to make you very scared and upset like which well, you yeah. <laughs> and, and
1: maybe yeah. that's maybe that's it is like the every everything is sort of built around this idea of like world war one is awesome and i right. think like, even most people like kind of know even know they don't know much about it that like eh, it, it, it was that fucked. wasn't that uh, wasn't awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and so you're kind of trying to like you, you have a setting that is basically a war that uh, really, kind of create like it's it, it's weird. Like people knew war was bad before World War One, but I'm not sure.
0: Not sure they knew how bad. <laughs> yeah, like it yeah. was
1: it was a different thing. Uh, it, yeah. it, it was a different thing. It was like loss and sacrifice on like scales that were truly unimaginable prior to to that war. Um, so, I, like I just I when I look at the marketing materials for that, when I look at the trailers, it's it's all kind of. I think being very cautious around its own setting. Yeah. And trying to be like, don't worry, it's still it's still battlefield, still the thing that you know uh when Call of Duty was going the opposite <laughs> direction and saying like, Yep, this is totally different.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah this, I is, totally this is this
1: is this is barely a Call of Duty game at this point. I'm sure it's I'm I'm sure it's a call of duty game, but like what they're showing is all stuff that like looks truly out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm legitimately interested in both of those games for those completely opposite reasons, <laughs> which is kind of cool. I, I don't know. I, I've heard a lot of people being a little bit down on E3 this year, and I've been a little curious about that because, I don't know, there's more things I'm interested in this year than in most years. You know, certainly I thought last year was a pretty decent E3. I yeah. I saw a lot of stuff I was really, really into. You know, I saw at least like at least two or three things at every one of the press events that I was really excited about. And you know several things that I was like, hey, yeah, that could be cool. I don't know; it's not necessarily my thing. You know, something like for honor, like where I was like, yeah, you know, I you know, sword daddy could be right. You know, it, <laughs> this could be cool. You know, daddy Kratos could be fun. I you know, the new God of War game is like Viking style with with Kratos being Maybe. a dad. I and think that's... you'd have
1: to hold a gun on me to get to get me to play a God yeah. of War game at this <laughs> you, point. Like... You don't
0: want to be daddy Kratos. <laughs>
1: no, and again, talk about like. <laughs> vaguely morally abhorrent uh characters and, and perspectives um, That man
0: should not be a father. That's y- just yeah. I feel like he should he should not be allowed anywhere near children or weapons or anything alive, I think uh, after yeah. the games he has started. Yeah. I mean Bethesda had a couple of games I was super interested in. Prey looks Fascinating. It was just a trailer at this point, yeah. and that's from Arcane. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I think they'll probably do something cool with that. They said it was kind of a, a an immersive sim, so and a horror so, sci-fi Arca- immersive sim, uh, exactly. Okay,
1: Arcane immersive sim. Okay, we're done. Yep. Like exactly. Let me know when you're clo- when you're close. Uh, speaking of Arcane, um, they were showing a little more of Dishonored, weren't they?
0: They did. They actually showed quite a bit. They did. Mm. You know, they actually did sort of an environmental walkthrough, which was really nice, and then they did uh, a gameplay demo um yeah it, it looks awesome you know the the sort of new powers are very very cool looking yeah. they were playing as Emily which is pretty rad Emily seems like a pretty cool character um you know Dishonored is a game that I really loved but I didn't finish it because I like I think a, a decent number of people kind of fell off in that one really long level where you don't have your powers and I just kind of pooped out of it on that I I would like to go back and actually finish it because I thought it was a fucking awesome game that you know really does make good on that whole mm. like playground sort of mentality wait the immersive so you after you've been them.
1: captured and you're sort of
0: yeah it's after you've been ca- it's after mm. you've been captured it's the sewer i think you, do, yeah. you don't have your powers for a while and i just kind of mm, i like my powers that was kind of the game for me it was powers oh. Okay. i know well, I, i'm gonna go back it was
1: like okay it was 15 it, it, it was like 15 <laughs> 20 minutes 20 minutes tops and you've would been through it and the end game would have been awesome oh <sighs> my goodness no this is unacceptable
0: i'm going back i yes. will go back you,
1: you have to go back
0: <laughs> or else my idle weekend card gets taken away pretty
1: much pretty much uh, oh, or you yeah. cannot go back and you can just cut straight to um this new game no 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 the uh, dlc for, oh, yeah, for Dishonored, yeah, It's oh, awesome. covering doubt. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's super good. Uh I would say it's overall like a third a length the length of the original game, but it's oh, it's nice. sort of all killer no filler. Uh it's it's real good.
0: Nice. Well I'm sold. That we'll yeah. add that to the massive list of things that I totally need to play. Um which brings us to I will just briefly say there were a lot of games at Sony. Not all of them looked all that amazing to me, but there were enough that I'm super into yeah. that I was like kind of sitting on the edge of my seat for for quite a bit of it. Um, you know, the new God of War looks like it potentially be interesting. We already kind of covered that. Um, there's the Last Guardian. It's actually going to come out in October. What? Hopefully. No. Yep, October 25th, 2016.
1: Next year, and tell me like Beyond Good and Evil 2 is. I know. Is like well, right everybody was corner.
0: was holding their breath for that, and that did not happen. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn looks interesting. That's the sort of game where you are a young woman and you are fighting robot dinosaurs. That could be cool. I don't know, but it looks kind of Witcher 3-ish. A little tiny bit, so that already I'm kind of into. There was a David Cage game shown at Sony, um, and it's called Detroit Become Human, and you are an android detective who gets to maybe go back in time and do weird things. Look, David Cage not the best writer. No. But <laughs> but I am able to get into those games despite that. I I think he makes games that are truly weird, sometimes kind of trashy and bad, but I still kind of dig them. I'm interested. I am interested in this even though I know it's probably going to be a clusterfuck. Like it probably will. But you tell me Cyberpunk Android Detective, and yeah. you can go back in time, and I'm probably going to play it. <laughs> it
1: doesn't need to be good. It just needs to be. E- exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You get it. <laughs> um, Resident Evil 7, there was like this PT demo for it that they actually have put out, and God knows how close it's going to be to Resident Evil 7. But hey, if they're going to crib Wait, from so, anything. So
1: hang on. So the, re- yeah. the new Resident Evil, yes, which is a Konami game, right? no it's capcom capcom yeah yeah uh so they're basically just taking all the cues that were set up from like pt and like what we know about silent hills and are they Mm -hmm. just kind of like taking it and running
0: looks like they are yeah cool
1: good work i'm happy about
0: that i mean it's better than than making a kind of really dicey action game that just happens to have things to kill in it no exactly that's Yeah. yeah i'm cool with that there was a bunch of vr stuff that actually looked pretty cool there's farpoint which is a you know first person space exploration game with some kind of story elements in it that looked kind of cool there was uh x-wing game for vr that looked pretty cool um yeah then there was the call of duty thing we already already talked about that and then here was the moment that people are really seriously talking about i cannot stop hearing about this Death Stranding. So,
1: oh my goodness, Sony this was had
0: Kojima walk out, and it was the way they framed it. It was it was very mysterious. Like somebody was walking out, and it, you know it was all dark, and you could kind of just tell a figure was walking out. And then Kojima just smiles this shit-eating grin, and he's like, "I'm back." <laughs> and then they showed this this trailer for this game that was beached whales and a dead baby and Norman Reedus naked on a beach and holy shit. It It's like, it's so Kojima. It was so unbelievably Kojima that it was just like, I
1: wait so, okay. the same
0: way. Oh yeah. go ahead. Norman go ahead. Reedus. Yes. He was character... going to be in silent Hills. Yeah.
1: Okay. This is okay. <laughs> yeah is, the, this, the, is this is this kosher sure. is this is this allowed
0: i it has to be because they canned the project right so pfft.
1: that's not usually how canceled projects work though like usually a publisher kind of owns all the work product from a project whether or not it sees the light of day
0: oh sure sure i mean this norman Reedus does not look anything like he did in the silent hills okay. trailer but nothing they're just taking like it. the name right i mean it's it's clearly him they didn't say i don't I don't remember if they actually said, hey, it's Norman Reedus, but it, it's obviously him. Okay. It's the you know, mo-capped Norman Reedus. Okay. He, he. So he's
1: naked on the shore. He's
0: naked on a beach. Yes. And there's there's dead crabs everywhere. There's dead whales. He wakes up. He sees that he's connected via umbilical cord, like a, a black umbilical cord to a baby. The baby is dead. He cries about the baby being dead. He looks down at his hands. There's black oil on his hands.
1: The baby's gone.
0: The baby's gone. And then it like pulls way out so that you can see these beached dead whales on on the beach. And these like mysterious figures just like floating over the ocean. And that was that. That was the trailer. And I the same way I kind of feel about the whole like David Cage thing. Like I don't always necessarily like all the stuff about, you know, like Metal Gear games. I, I really enjoyed Metal Gear Solid 5. I thought some of it was horse shit and some of it, you know, was kind of ridiculous. But I like that there's somebody who is allowed to be really fucking weird with this budget. Like, I like that that is a fact. I will play whatever the hell this is. And I actually really liked both... um, the fact that this this trailer itself had like a really kind of perfect dream logic to it. Like none of it made any sense, but it felt weirdly coherent. Like all, all of it kind of comes together in a way that like, yes, of course, when I'm dreaming, my brain definitely makes these these connections between environmentalism subtly and dead babies and whales and being naked on a beach. Like there's, there was something about it that kind of felt like this is probably going to go somewhere and I definitely want to see where it goes. Yeah. Like that's... For sure, I, sign me up. Weird, weird Kojima thing. I, I want to know what it is, for sure. So, yeah, that's the thing I feel like I've seen the most uh, sort of chatter about on Twitter is people both making, like, mpreg jokes and oh yeah, also, but also very much uh, people taking it very seriously and, like, looking into the symbolism of it and doing all the, you know, conspiracy theory things, which, of course, I'm sure Kojima is eating up right now. Yeah, that's kind of what he wants, of course. Um, but this trailer did exactly what it was supposed to do and make people really I mean, talk about it. So yeah, you know,
1: I mean that's also been sort of a knock I always have against Kojima games. Well, like a lot of people who are like deeply, deeply into Kojima games, or at least were when I was sort of growing up or becoming more aware of them. Like right around, like I feel like by the time Metal Gear Solid Four comes out, uh, Kojima has sort of been reinvented as this like. Auteur. Mr.
0: Genius kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And
1: yeah. a lot of the praise around it seemed to be like people like having their first encounter with the concept of subtext.
0: Or postmodernism yeah. in slightest. And it's it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, this
1: is, yeah, this, this is actually lots of, lots of creative work does this <laughs> stuff and, and, and has, has meaning beyond just what you see and, 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 and do. Uh, but uh, that was always sort of a fr- like n- n- just a minor frustration, right? Oh, yeah. not, not like w- was just that uh, stuff that would be stuff that I wouldn't necessarily pass muster uh, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Was like hail just because it just because a game had was operating on these levels, right? Uh, it was like sort of an inherent good, uh, but you know I'm, I'm 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 kind of mellowing on it, like because it is he he is kind of he is unique right like there's not many people who are going to be allowed to do what he's doing on a big scale right because like i think to an extent like his his air would be sweary right
0: yeah totally totally
1: but you see what happens when you're when you're coming into your own creatively in a very different market and business than kojima did uh so yeah
0: yeah, I, I definitely don't have a lot of patience for this sort of total bullshit aspect of, of a lot of his games. Like, you know, the whole God, we talked about this on thumbs, but the whole, you know, the the woman character who like couldn't wear clothes because she breathes through her skin. Like it just come on guys like oh was that that the thing about quiet that was the thing about silent yes it was so ridiculous Mm. like there's just so much bullshit in there but there's also some really interesting stuff like like all of all of those games actually have this sort of interesting anti-nuclear stance that was especially the fifth one um you know the one that came out last year and that was like kind of cool that you're exploring this this idea in the in the guise of like this Weird stealth game that also has all these bizarre elements in it. I I don't know. I I appreciate that someone's allowed to be weird on that level, yep. and will still probably think part of this is total bullshit. Like, I feel like those those feelings are probably going to coexist for me yeah. <laughs> because well, they will have these games
1: baffling though. I like, I have no <laughs> idea what that is.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but we, we should probably, uh, move along to our weekend correspondence. We'll probably delve into some of this, uh, again before, before too long. Uh, but before we get to our weekend correspondence, uh, we need to have a word from our sponsor.
0: Today's episode of idle weekend is brought to you by Zipcar. Earn $25 of free driving credit at joinzipcar.com slash weekend.
1: So Danielle, uh, I've just moved and we'll talk about that another day. Sure. But I'm in a new city. I don't have my car anymore. uh, So I don't have to worry about getting knifed. But at the same time, I don't have a car anymore. Uh, Fortunately, I have found a solution to my grocery routine. Okay. Uh, I've got some friends in the area and I get to schedule an hour every Thursday (laughs) at 3 a.m. with their old white van. But, you know, it's a, it's a little sketchy. Uh, you know, I, you always have to hope the line is actually going to start. Sure. And it's not the best neighborhood, but it sure beats bringing heavy bags on the bus.
0: Uh, Rob, I I don't think you really... I don't think you need to do that anymore.
1: Uh, I, I I kind of do, Daniel. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty clumsy, and I once basically took out an old lady on the bus. <laughs> and I was not the most popular guy on that car uh, that day. So... No, I think I, I think the three a.m. Econoline is, is is the way to go.
0: I mean, I mean, you could just sign up with Zipcar. You can grab a car for a few hours, just whenever you need to do your shopping. It doesn't need to be at three a.m. anymore.
1: That that sounds like it might work.
0: Yeah, Zipcar is really convenient. You just schedule some time with a car nearby, and again, doesn't have to be a weird white van. And you can just go grab it when you need it. They call it wheels when you need them.
1: Okay, I'm listening.
0: Just go to joinzipcar.com slash weekend, and you'll get $25 of free driving credit. And you can have a car whenever you need one without any of the hassle or the creepiness.
1: That sounds pretty good. What's that URL again?
0: That's joinzipcar.com slash weekend for $25 of free driving credit. Awesome. So our first letter comes in from Dennis, and this is a letter that is uh, pretty pretty close to my heart, so... Dennis writes, Hi R&D, which I love, by the way, a little editorial note. Like many other members of the LGBTQIA community, I was utterly heartbroken this past weekend upon hearing about the events in Orlando. Going through my Sunday and sorting through my life in social media feeds, I still found myself watching EA's presentation ahead of E3 this week, partially as an escape and moment of reprieve, and I just felt hollow as I watched the trailers presented. While I know there is some mitigation now being done in how to present, and some companies have donned rainbow pins and ribbons in memoriam, I find myself at odds. On the one hand, I'm glad the industry is willing to voice support for LGBTQIA lives and to show that proudly. On the other, it also brings into stark contrast the games industry and how risk averse they seem seem to be in having protagonists that are more open, that more openly, sorry, I'm gonna read that again. On the other, it also brings into stark contrast the games industry and how risk-averse they seem to be in having protagonists that more openly reflect the community. While I get and really love being able to create an avatar who has romances in various Bioware games, or even in the newest Bethesda ones, I feel that there's still so much to be explored, especially as regards specific viewpoints, rather than allowing me to create the story for myself. So much seems to be placed on having NPCs shoulder these stories' burdens. How do you yourselves reconcile these moments of unity from an industry that largely still seems to be not as bold as they could be? Am I just being overly harsh, considering the larger corporatization of pride events in general, coupled with a community's tragedy? Well, I have a lot of thoughts (laughs) about this. Rob, do you want want to go first, actually?
1: Uh, I mean, I get the, yeah, sure. I I mean, I get the frustration uh, because talk is very cheap yeah but one but there's but there, but there's a there's a few things uh that that really could matter that the industry could do and 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 generally chooses not to like having like having gay characters sort of push to the edges of straight characters stories having them in the background like on the one hand yes i'm sure that the the visibility is appreciated but there is very rarely a concerted effort to uh put players in the shoes of uh someone who is uh you know uh, of is uh... Not straight. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to like see. This is a. This is. This is. By the way, what I hate about identity politics. I was like, is queer <laughs> the is queer the inclusive I use term queer. or okay. I use queer
0: all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. For for the whole community. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, but at the same time, the industry, the industry isn't good at telling. Story, uh, telling very human stories, right? Like it, it's 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 no surprise that like the the thing that everyone talked about in The Witcher Three was the bloody Baron, which was all carried on NPC's shoulders, right? Um, and that's generally how a lot of these things are due. the uh, a lot of a lot of the uh best scenes in like Bioware games are also sort of focusing on NPCs because that's sort of where you have the most satisfying. Opportunity to sort of stage and tell stories uh, because you don't have to worry about the player necessarily screwing it up with um, right. <laughs> you know choose your own adventure responses. Um, I now I never explored like queer relationships as uh, Shepherd, so I don't know how that stuff was was carried off. Uh, and I I haven't even played the, the the dragon the Dragon Age games, but ultimately I think the industry has a problem in that. It doesn't tell stories about relationships very much and a side effect of that is that when they do choose like not, not a side effect when they do choose to tell those stories, it's generally from a straight perspective because that's the that is believed to be the most readily marketable thing um, but also I think like NPC characters who are who, who are queer are in some ways the easier way to tackle it because then you don't alienate people, but you get a sticker for for making uh, gay characters uh, visible. So I I get it, I get it because to an extent, like games have the ability to be these really empathetic experiences uh, and to continually sort of deny a minority representation or at least like center stage. Uh, in in a medium Uh, after a certain point it begins to feel like i don't know like a softer form of othering
0: it does yeah
1: um and then a tragedy like this comes around and everyone is an entire industry comes together to say but don't worry we're still cool we're we're still cool right like we're, (laughs) we're behind you all the way yeah uh but then at less fraught at less fraught and less charged moments um they're only too happy to put those communities back behind the curtain
0: yeah i uh i would agree with that i i was really really upset um obviously uh when when this all happened on sunday i i sort of I was kind of sleepwalking through the day and then and then I had to, you know, cover E3. I had to do my job. You know, I had to, you know, cut 5 videos a day for for these things and 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 write stuff and Weirdly, it was almost good for me that E3 happened at kind of the time that this happened because it gave me something to do and obsess over. But that doesn't mean I wasn't, like, crying every day over it, you know. And I I've talked about it a little bit on Twitter, and there were other, you know, queer people in the game industry who were talking about, like, yep, cried every day before 9 a.m., like, even if they're at E3, that kind of thing. It's it's a really, really, really heartbreaking thing, um, and it kind of hits you where you live, I think, uh, especially if you're a member of the community. Uh, Because all of us have felt fucking threatened at one point or another, even if we're young and we've um, lived in a world that's a lot nicer to gay people than it used to be, certainly. Much, for me, you know, born in 1984, like, I was 13 when Ellen DeGeneres came out. And I remember the, like, biblical attacks against, you know, the really, uh, the things that you could see on mainstream TV talking about, like, hey, I'm normal, You, you burn in hell kind of thing, you know, like, in my own lifetime, things have gotten so much better. Um, So it's really shocking and really it just destroys you to think about what this means Um, and kind of brings you back to reality that, yeah, people were not fucking safe in this country, even if we we think maybe we are uh, sometimes. So it's really fucked up. And I personally really appreciated um, the the little rainbow pins and the, the little messages. You know, it wasn't. It felt tasteful to me, uh, especially when Aisha Tyler um, did it. Again, I I think she handled it really gracefully. Um, I appreciated that because at the very least, at the very, very least, that was acknowledging something and specifically saying, like, we give a shit. You know, the industry is usually really good at putting its head in the sand. I remember a couple of years ago, I don't remember if it was E3 or if it was... um, one of the other sort of events, like the the Game Awards or something where, you know, Battlefield Hardline was being shown off and there was this awful song that was sung by a band that kind of had like some really gross like illusions in it. and And I remember it was during a time where things were really, really fraught with one of the, you know, really high profile cases of a person of color being shot by the police. And I remember like being like, oh, fucking Jesus, like, like, delete your account, you know, kind of having one of those moments. So this felt at the very least like, okay, it, they're they're showing some class, you know, there's some classiness here. But that doesn't, you know, discount the fact that, you know, LGBT people are really kind of invisible still um, in, in games. And, you know, that's not 100%. Obviously, we had Life is Strange, and, you know, we have a few kind of higher profile indie games that have some of this happening we have some games that are being really cool about gender expression and uh sort of the ability to be non-binary or you know classify oneself as being non-binary or you know uh, other like we're starting to see a little tiny bit of that seep in um but it is definitely baby steps and it's definitely the most prevalent stuff is you know what dennis is talking about here in bioware games where it's like okay you can totally be gay or by. You can totally romance somebody, but it's not really like the story itself was not written from the outset from that perspective. It was just, here's a, a choice you can make, kind of thing, you know, in your choose your own adventure story. And I still really appreciate those things. I remember Mass Effect 2 was kind of the first game I ever played where I could be a queer woman and like date a woman. And I played that game three times, like all the way through. Like end to end because I was so excited about that I could be in space and I could I could romance ladies that was the greatest thing in my life <laughs> you know five six years ago whatever it was so like I appreciate those things um, but it sure would be fucking cool if there were protagonists that were gay and, or or bi or or whatever queer non-binary transgender all of the things you know all the sort of flavors of the rainbow um and it would be cool to kind of have that support on that that very base level of like yeah we're making games about this this is a an interesting thing to explore we're going to do it with class and grace and so on and so forth and i i will continue to play saints row games and and you know bioware games and kind of play my own adventure until that day happens where we can actually have like Man, wouldn't it be awesome to have like a really cool like lesbian detective like that would make me happy. One day I will get that game and I will be a very, very happy Danielle.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I, I, I also feel, though, that those stories will start to appear more often once we have more games that actually tell stories about people. Yes. And not the things they do, not the action verbs that, right. that people do, but the things that they are um and i think that's a big problem that sort of is tied to the representation issue because i'm not sure like i am sure it would be celebrated if like activision came out and said oh yeah the hero of the new call of duty is gay
0: right right yeah
1: and at no point do you ever see a gay relationship for right. another There's person. There's no kiss. There's it's no just, anything. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, yeah. it's just like, oh yeah, you're totally a gay guy uh, who does things like shout frag out and, <laughs> right, and all that right. stuff. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I think that like those those issues aren't um, entirely separate. It is just that when the stories uh, do tend to, when, when there are more narrative focused AAA games, uh, they yeah. do tend to play it safer, uh, play it a little straighter and making... <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well and, yeah. <laughs> right. And 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 punfully intended. Um yeah, but yeah. at the same time, they make those characters that kind of don't have a very strong perspective that um just as many people as possible can read themselves into it.
0: Yeah. I, um, I expect any movement on this to come from the yeah. kind of higher level indie. You know, the sort of the yeah. games that are replacing what the mid tier kind of used to be, the, the sort of firewatch level or the gone home level. You know, that kind of thing. Like I I expect the You know, like maybe we'll make this the genre. Indies that are actually shown on a stage at E3, (laughs) like that level of game is what's going to move this forward and probably not AAA until it kind of happens on that sort of mid-level first.
1: There's an element to this this email uh, that I'm sort of curious about your perspective on, which is like, is there a frustration that at this point it is now almost like part of marketing. It's like corporate gestures of solidarity with a community that nobody's actually all that interested in putting anything on the line for Uh, that. You know, it's a very easy way to say, like, "Look, we have progressive, inclusive values now that all the hard work has been done." <laughs> uh, but yeah. so, so now that, now that you know, now that your community's been like, you know, roughly like mainstreamed and normalized and all that stuff, yeah, okay. Uh, have the have the rainbow flag logo uh, a few days out of the year, yeah. Uh, but beyond that, don't expect much from us right like that's oh, like yeah. there seems yeah. to be an element of frustration here and I I I, I sense that's where it's coming from but, I, but I'm yes. curious if you if you sort of feel that as well
0: I certainly do and this is something like I've struggled with personally and I know a lot of people in the community struggle with is kind of the general you know what Dennis is talking about here the corporatization of pride like oh yeah here's Pepsi whatever I don't know if it's Pepsi but whoever with you know they have a great float in the new york city pride parade but are they actually fucking doing anything like are they actually giving money to organizations that that are doing the real work doing the hard work are they actually fighting for trans rights which is you know one of the areas that is still incredibly early in terms of actually you know the, the whole entire thing that happened in north carolina with this, the you know quote unquote bathroom bill and all this to be fair shit. a lot of
1: companies did immediately come out and and say that like they would be changing corporate policies toward expansion yes. and and work in, in Carolina, which was
0: uh That was great to see. Yeah. That was really, really cool. And when folks actually do step up with action like that, I am I'm cool. I'm good. I'm happy. Uh but yeah, there there is plenty of lip service at this point because now it's politically not poison anymore or as much poison to support the queer community. Uh, whereas it once was absolute utter poison to ever kind of say the word gay. Like that was yeah. the worst thing ever to be um and you know within our lifetimes honestly which is what's so ridiculous about all of this in a good way that that things have changed quite do you a bit. worry
1: there's an insidious quality to this that like can slowly strip out a community's progressive total momentum like because like just think of like how martin luther king has been turned into this um like Feel good, uh, stuffed animal symbol. figure, yeah, Yes, yeah, totally. Of like, boy, it sure is. What a great American, and just so uncontroversially uh, wonderful. He just said people should be equal. That's admirable, <laughs> uh, and and right. you know that's and that's and that's kind of what it's been turned into. But in, in the meantime, we've also managed, like, as a part of that, uh, there's an entire erasure of the fact that like progress came confrontationally, uh, yes. painfully, and was okay. incomplete. But the, as you begin to like corporatize this stuff or, or reduce things to easy, uncontroversial symbols, are you also stripping a community uh, of its symbols?
0: Completely. I mean, pride is pride. It is when it is because of, you know, in honor of the Stonewall riots where cops would go in and arrest people and, and hurt people because they were gay. That was it. That was all it took. So people rioted. They put their lives on the line for this. And now it's a place where you can get drunk and hook up and get a bunch of free rainbow shit. Like, it's not... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. It is frustrating. It really is frustrating on some level. And like, God, I used to I used to march in Boston Pride every year with the ACLU. That was my job. It was part yeah. of my job. And it was like this really nice celebration. And it was this really great thing. So it was like, yeah, you know, we've we've had all these cases that I'm really proud of and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Um but then it would just be kind of like, okay, it's just one big party. What do we actually stand for? What are we actually saying? And like it, pride is kind of a mixture of both, right? There are genuinely like activist groups who go and people who are very, very, very integral uh, in the gay rights movement who go, you know, they, I met the person who actually sort of made the rainbow flag, the rainbow flag once in San Francisco, um, you know, people who are really actually put their lives on the line and really fought hard for our rights. They're next to the people who are just there for the free fucking whatever, you know, like they're just yeah. there for the free condoms that are cherry flavored. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's all kind of wrapped up together and it is really complicated. And, and I have to say that, like, you know, I, I'm coming from a relative position of privilege here as, you know, sort of a white cis woman. I'm queer, but I'm white and I'm cis. And, you know, obviously, as we, we were saying, like trans people still have it really right. fucking hard. Uh, in this country, really, really. Tough. Does it almost and, feel though like yeah.
1: it's getting almost harder because the battleground has shifted? That like, well, oh
0: for sure. Who ca- people, okay, people who can we like other discriminate was, against sorry, now? Good, ahead. Go ahead. yeah.
1: Well, th- that's kind of how it feels. At least It's yeah. like, okay, well, we lost the battle on sort of denying. Civil rights to gay people, right. uh, who can who? What's what's an easily targetable minority? That's how right. that's how this current era feels to me. At for least sure. is like, man, we needed to find somebody to to target because the worldview depends on there being <laughs> on an somebody. out group. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure, for absolutely for sure. A lot of queer people kind of. Gave up the fight a little bit once we got marriage, and yep. marriage was is awesome and amazing, and I can't even tell you how happy I am that like it's it's totally a thing. I could marry my girlfriend right now, but <laughs> that kind of doesn't mean much when you know my sort of my trans brothers and sisters can be treated like utter garbage. Like it, it you know, we we kind of have to act like we're all in this together, and a lot of people don't act like we're all in this together, and yeah. that's the part that's that's really tough about all of this, for sure. That's a bit of a deep dive for our (laughs) Um, our podcast, but yeah, (laughs) but yeah, no, I I genuinely think it's important, you know? Yeah, no, no, I I really do think it's important, especially given what has happened. And, uh, you know, uh, most of the people that I know in this industry are wonderful. And I was truly afraid to be out when I first started writing about games because there were very few women kind of doing this even. And I didn't want to be like, well, there's the gay one. Cool. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, I I think my experiences in this industry have been mostly really wonderful and a lot of people who have, who have been very welcoming to me and I appreciate that. And I, I just want people who care about this sort of shit to, to take whatever action you feel is appropriate and to support organizations that do work with, with folks, especially like queer youth, homeless queer youth, uh, you know, trans folks, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you can do. And, uh, Yeah, I I encourage people to do them if they're able to.
1: Uh, All right, so we'll cut our letters a little short. I just got one more (laughs) then. uh, Sure, Because we're running a little long on this show. Um, This one comes from Patrick, and Patrick writes, "Uh, Because my job entails a lot of time by myself working at a computer, I end up listening to a lot of podcasts, sometimes about general pop culture or interesting history things, and sometimes podcasts that trade in criticism slash complaining about media. (laughs) After all this time... I have found that, at times, some of the criticism, while faring completely within the rights of anyone to say, I find that it leans heavily on picking at individual flaws within a work rather than interesting analysis of why a work doesn't hang together as a whole. I know there are whole YouTube channels dedicated to this sort of thing, pointing out a ton of individual flaws within a work, and I myself have narrowed down my dislike for a work to an individual moment at times, but the more I consume media, the more I wonder if narrowing a dislike to singular moments actually makes any sense, or if my mind is simply trying to find touch points in a work that I didn't like overall. Looking back, I feel like there are probably equally ridiculous or terrible moments in works I love, but I don't see them because the overall piece of media hangs together well enough. So my questions to you are the us where do you think the line is between criticism and nitpicking and how much do you think that individual flaws we point out in the work are actually the reasons for us disliking it
0: I feel like you actually had a really great quote about this uh, somewhat recently about, you know, a food critic who only wants to eat kind of like, you mm-hmm. know, the most exotic food as opposed to having like a really good, you know, simple yeah. meal, that kind of thing. Um, and it feels like there's kind of two questions here, one being the sort of like, is that kind of what's going on sometimes with critics? And the other question kind of being, yeah, what's the actual line between criticism and nitpicking? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I, I couldn't stop thinking about that little quote from you uh, you, know, sort of the first part of this question. and I think we're guilty of that sometimes for sure. Oh, yeah. Like if, if you criticize if your job, your day to day is to look at uh, types of media and sort of criticize them and analyze them, you're gonna see flaws all day every day. Like it's just it's just kind of, you know, kind of how it works. And we are guilty, I think, sometimes of nitpicking things a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's as simple as does it work for you? despite flaws or are those flaws enough to kind of overcome the goodwill that you have for other parts of it like I I like a lot of things that are really crappy and stupid and Mm like I am totally okay saying that like Lost Girl perfect example that show is hot garbage I love it like it does a lot for me and you know I could point out flaws all day long um but I still love it like it, it works for me you know on kind of a gut level and I feel like Sometimes you just have to go with that, with, with your just, do you have really warm feelings for something? Does it, does it make you excited in a good way? Like, does it does it kind of do it for you? If so, that's kind of the line for me. Um, you know, if something really does it for me, if I remember it weeks later, if I kind of like keep kind of going back to it and thinking about it, uh, that's when I know it's, it's totally something amazing that's going to stay in my brain versus, well, this is just not memorable and not interesting and the flaws kind of ruin something for me.
1: So there like there was this wonderful video making the rounds a little while ago uh the cinema sins of cinema sins or something like oh that God. Uh, it was going after <laughs> uh this this YouTube channel that d- does nothing but like nitpicking uh, <laughs> except a lot of times they're factually in error uh, yeah. they just sort yeah. of smirkly like Present everything as sort of like a gotcha moment, like, haha, this is, you know, another, look well, at this fail. Right. Uh, but, yeah. th- you know, obviously it's, it doesn't rise to the level of criticism because it's incoherent. Uh, <laughs> and again, frequently wrong. Uh, but it was a great video, sort of illustrating, using their approach against them, uh, which was really cool. And it is kind of depressing that this has become a um, a, a sort of predominant form of yeah. criticism online that I think what. Bothers me about it is that it seems to be built around making the audience feel superior to hmm. something and the people who made it rather than exploring the thing. Uh, it's, you know, look, look how dumb this is, and you're, you're smart because you're watching this uh, as we take it down. Um, at the same time, I think there's value to nitpicking uh, because, not like, not, let, me, let me put it this way there's value in close readings of anything. And at times, moments that are easily passed over or just are, are could be these throwaway moments uh, actually do loom rather large when you consider the work as a whole because there are moments that can encapsulate the flaws or strengths of, of a given work. Uh, they can encapsulate uh, trends in it overall or in, in, in a medium, even. Uh, so... Like, TV critics use the term jumping the shark. Well, now everyone uses the term jumping the shark. <laughs> yes yeah, sure. But it, it has its origins in, in TV criticism. Now it's a wildly overused phrase. But it's still worth trying to figure out when something that was once good jumped the shark. Like, is there a particular moment that you can point to that... You capture the moment where a series sort of curdles, where the things that made it good are left behind on one side of the jump, and something else has taken its place and is wearing its skin uh, on the far side. And I think finding those moments can be hugely important. Uh, and so I, I tend to, I, I tend to fixate a lot on, on moments that I think sort of sort of sum up the the problems with the, with things. Like I think you could write. Like an entire, you know, maybe not a book, but but certainly a a pretty long essay, uh, just on Anakin's return to Tatooine in episode two and why that is like, you don't need to know anything like you, like, why did those, why did that original trilogy completely fall apart? Why was it awful? Uh, you actually don't need to watch the rest of the films. You just need to watch this sequence of things that happen during this trip because it encapsulates incompetent writing, incompetent acting, uh, a completely, uh, morally bewildered worldview. Um,
0: that's a good way of putting it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) so like, and moments like that, like that isn't just a nitpick. It's, the scene that kind of illustrates everything that was wrong, you know you could you could you could go through and point to all these other moments, these other problems, but like there's there's not a sequence that sort of <laughs> that runs the trifecta uh, the, 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 of, uh, of of the flaws of that series uh like that one sequence so I actually kind of I, I think if you're nitpicking, if you're just trying to find flaws in something that's otherwise inoffensive, if you're trying to find, like, continuity errors or, or just little, you know, problems of execution in, like, transition shots, right? Moving the action yeah. from one scene to the other. Yeah, that really has no critical value, uh, usually. But I do think there's a lot of value in finding moments where a work stumbles and yes. exploring why. Uh, I, I and can, yeah. When, yeah and when they stumble in ways that say more than just that moment right like oh, totally. that, that sort of say something deeper
0: Yeah and I and I think there's something to this in terms of like how complex the media that we're critiquing is and how there are so many factors that can go into something being really great or really terrible or or really somewhere in between um and that's also like that's worth uh, mentioning and worth thinking about as well like the cinematography could have been x y and z the writing the, you know every every sort of element and, and with games you have this sort of everything that a movie has and then also sort of the element of interactivity and game feel and all these other things so it's yeah we, we write and critique about really complicated things where I don't know there is value there is absolutely value in that okay with that I think it's time for us to talk about our weekend projects Rob what are you into these days
1: well I don't know if I'd say I'm into it Danielle <laughs> But I did go see the Warcraft movie.
0: Oh, my God. Tell me all about it.
1: Uh, it's nowhere near as bad as, as, as it's being made out to be. Okay,
0: okay. Um,
1: I feel like, once again, this is going to sound like defensive gamer <laughs> anger or whatever. Oh no. But, no, it just, feels, it just feels like critics sharpen their axes uh, for, for this one uh, because it's sort of a video game property uh and it got it got a rougher ride than similarly inexpert offerings uh would receive. Uh I, I think it is it is not a it is not a good movie. Um but nor did I find it to be a disaster and I found it had good moments in it. Um I I, I do fundamentally agree that uh, Todd, Todd VanderWerf uh, at, at Vox uh, wrote a thing, basically explaining why he likes it. But one thing he singled out, and I, I kind of agree with this: um, uh, Duncan Jones just it is Duncan Jones, right? Uh, yeah, Duncan Jones just isn't an isn't a big action director, right? And unfortunately, this is a movie that involves a lot of, a lot of action, <laughs> a uh, action. a lot of action sequences, yeah. and a lot of them don't quite land. Uh, a lot of them just aren't particularly like visually engaging toward the end I actually did think it started getting really good like there's some uh single combat that's that's really exciting in the uh toward the end of the movie there's also some big battles that that look pretty cool but um there's a lot of action sequences that just don't quite work um but I think really the the big problem with the movie is that its first act kind of sucks like it has a good start and then it just wanders into this jungle of exposition and like concepts are being introduced. We have to go see the mages at the tower. There's like two mage towers. (laughs) And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell, like why are there two of them? Like, shouldn't the mages all be like, so wait, this guy's the guardian, but these are the mages. I don't, who is doing, I don't know. That's kind of like, and the movie's really fixated on this is the problem. Like it's, it's like you should care about this you should get this you should understand what the differences are but like what the politics of um like Azeroth are and i just like i know warcraft and i was confused i was like i i don't i don't, I don't know what's happening here uh it doesn't help that the uh, the the uh the female lead um uh garona or something uh mm. the orc I am pretty sure that actress had difficulty talking with the um, oh no with the uh, prosthetic fangs sure. uh, in her mouth because her character seems to have a slight, uh, a very slight lisp. Oh no, uh, that, is, that comes and goes, and I think it, <laughs> it's like so. It's it's a little bit. It's it's very B movie uh, sure. at times, but you know once it once we were through that and the story became more about like relationships between the characters that we had, and not the politics. It was a decent popcorn flick. Like I, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad I saw it because uh, it was, it was at least an entertaining night uh, in in the theaters. And there's something to be said for that. And it was a pleasant surprise because my expectations were were set so, uh, so so laughably low. Uh, another weird thing, not weird, but the theater was was pretty was was pretty decently full.
0: Okay, that's all good. Asian people. like
1: like i like i was this was this was um the the theater in downtown boston like right at the right the uh the park the the park street uh theater right uh, near where
0: to live actually yeah
1: yeah right um and i was one of like four white people in that theater (laughs) and then everyone else was like a bunch of asian kids on dates and i was like cool (laughs) oh it it was but i was thinking like man if they do another one of these movies just like and I was thinking like what a missed opportunity cuz it's all it's all like predominantly white people in the leading True. roles. Yeah, yeah. And it's like man, dude, if you just cast like one Asian person in one of these roles uh you you'd have cleaned up. Although yeah. I, I suspect given how many Asian people were in that, that that audience, uh it might be cleaning up among that demographic regardless. Wow. Uh but it was yeah. it was interesting to me to see like you know, the Warcraft moment may have passed for a lot of gamers but man that the the magic is alive and well uh in in northeast asia it looks like
0: wow that's that's sort of amazing i did not expect you to say that i, I thought you were going to say like over 50 women or something you know like like older women or you know something super random that's that's no, cool it's, though no it's, yeah. like,
1: it, it's like a teen date
0: movie wow, that's, uh, that's it was, kind it was super it was super cute yeah that's kind of adorable that's really cool um well i mean you know movies should probably cast more asian actors anyway uh but yeah yes yes that's cool i i just started watching uh the oj simpson uh fx series that that oh, you there had we go. had uh, once upon a time i believe told me about uh it's amazing i'm early on though so i'm going to actually mention this you know in a in a in a, in a week upcoming week yeah um, so, this week, what I'm going to recommend for people is a game, actually. I have been playing Odin Sphere, I'm going to try to pronounce this right, Leifthrosser? Odin Sphere Leifthrosser. Okay, it okay. is a remake. It's a sort of a, a much prettier, much more pared down, much more sort of mechanically coherent version of Vanillaware's best game by, I think, uh, a, a, fair, a fair amount. It's a really, really good RPG brawler with really, really gorgeous art. Um, and the story is actually really kind of wonderfully resonant. Um, you're, you're kind of playing these, these little characters that are all sort of young adults, you know, it kind of feels like we, we had, um, AVB actually reviewed this game for us at, uh, at Zam and she called it, it feels kind of like good young adult fiction, the way it's kind of written. It's about, uh, young people who are coming into their own and the adults around them are kind of disappointing them and not really there for them. And... It is also kind of you know it's a very JRPG kind of fantasy setting. It's it's a JRPG excuse me JRPG version of uh, Norse yeah. <laughs> mythology. Um, so you know it's 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 very fanciful. It's very you know it, it, you know a little. If, if that's kind of not your bag, this probably won't change your mind. But I actually really appreciate it. I thought it was very, very colorful and very, very pretty. And mechanically speaking, it feels amazing. Uh, it's it's just a very, very good, very responsive brawler that has tons of just RPG kind of meat uh, in it as well. Uh, with some cooking and some... You, you actually, like, you plant these little seeds and then you you harvest the fruit and you you make little potions and things. And it's actually really, really quite, quite fun and, and very responsive and apparently i did not actually play the older version of the game the older version of the game came out maybe 2008 2007 maybe on the uh, ps2 sort of a late era ps2 game Um, apparently had, like, so many more sort of cooking mechanics. And here Mm -hmm. it's it's much more simple and kind of just a nice addition to the gameplay and really kind of feeds back into, you know, giving you more power and giving you buffs and so on and so forth with the little potions. So, you know, as somebody who bounced off of Dragon's Crown pretty hard, (laughs) another kind of RPG brawler from Vanillaware, I I think this game is, is fantastic. Really, really awesome little game. It's also on PS3 and PS Vita. I know everybody... Nobody ever talks about Vita anymore, but it <laughs> it's it's a cool game for your Vita if you want to play that. Um, I played the PS4 version because that's, that's what I, yeah, make sure that you get out the dust, make sure your dog hasn't used it for, like, a chew toy or something or whatever, you know. Um, sorry, PS Vita. I like the Vita. I think it's a good little system. I'm sad that it's not getting supported, but Odin Sphere, Leif which I hope I pronounced correctly. Uh, really rad little game. Totally worth your time if you are into those kinds of things. Awesome. And so, with that, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. So, folks, if you are enjoying our show, if you are having a good time, if you are becoming enlightened by our awesome opinions, whatever, whatever works for you. If you could go and rate us on iTunes and go share this, uh, wonderful podcast or whatever, however you feel about the podcast, share it with friends. (laughs) That would really help us out. It means the world to us because that's kind of the only way we can really grow our audience. So we really, really appreciate your listenership and we really appreciate you evangelizing us. You can learn more about the show at IdleWeekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondent at questions at IdleWeekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at IdleWeekend. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of Idle Weekends.